Jesus has one bride. And he loves this bride so immensely. And this bride is his church. He loves her dearly. He loves her faithfully. And with his own life and death, he vowed to protect his bride. And as we heard in, in a song this morning, she will forever dwell in his bosom and she will drink of his love until she's filled. And when one slanders a brother in Christ, it is as though we've picked up some mud and we threw it at Jesus' fiance. Jesus is the head of his church. And it pleased him to be so intimate with her that he called her his body. And with his precious blood runs deep through her veins and arteries pumping glorious nutritions to every organ, joint and limb to the growth of the body. Why? So that her heart would pump with heartbeats of love for him. And to gossip about the church is like plunging a knife into the body of Christ. Malicious gossips is, is an attempt to cut off knuckles or limbs of Jesus' body. It is as though shooting arrows at Jesus' organs. <clears throat> the vilification of any saint is an assault on the only institution Jesus established. When we gossip about our brother in Christ, what are we doing? We are tearing the unity of the whole church. And to tear that unity is to tear the body of Christ. And to tear the body is an attempt to tear the head. Gossip. Slander. Spreading bad reports, no matter how true they may be. Broadcasting harmful news is not only evil, but it is destructive. Destructive to the slanderer, destructive to the hearer, and destructive to the one whom being slandered. We looked at that last week. And what a warning it was for all of us. And immediately after that, what I wanted to do is extract a message that I preached, I believe, a couple of years ago. And I do want to bring it before all of us as I believe it is important and it does plug in perfectly with our intention this year where we are heading. So let's start with the most common three questions and answers when it comes to gossips. First one. <clears throat> but doesn't the Bible say that we ought to bear with, e with each other's burden? Hmm? I mean, what's wrong with what I'm doing? Our brother hurt me. I'm offended by that. And I'm sharing my burden so that others would be able to bear with me that burden that I have. I mean, isn't that what the Bible teaches? Answer? No. The Bible teaches the exact opposite of that. Please turn to Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. And it says, So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Meaning since God loves you, since God has chosen you to be his own precious people, therefore if a brother offends you and you're carrying, carrying that offense as a burden, then your duty is to patiently bear it. Not share it, bear it. And it continues on and it says, Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. In other words, if you have a complaint, 
If a brother has offended you, and therefore you've got to complain, then remember that Christ forgave you, and so also should you. But in no way are you given license when a burden is a form of is a complaint against a brother, is to gossip about him. So, if you want to share your burden with others, brothers, let it be the burden of your own flaws, not your brothers. If you have a confession and you feel like you want to share it, let it be the confession of your own sins, not your brother's sins. So that's question one. Question two. What about at home? You know, when my, my, my spouse wants to vent out to me about a brother in Christ, is it still a sin? I mean, he's my husband. She, she's my wife. We're, we are the most intimate people on this planet. So the question is, really is, is it okay to slander my brother in Christ to my husband or to my wife? What do we think? Please do turn to First Peter chapter 2. Um, it, it, you know, we'll be flicking through a lot of uh, passages if you want to only just pay attention to what I'm saying and you kind of feel like you might get distracted, pay attention. But for those of you who want to do the hard work and verify what the Word of God says, have a look at this. First Peter chapter 2. Now, First Peter chapter 1, it closes off with basic, basically saying, since you're born again by the gospel. As a result of your new nature, then the first word of First Peter chapter 2 says, Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and what? All slander. All slander has to go. But instead, what do you have to do? Verse 2. Like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. So why is it all slander has to go? Because you're born again. Because you have new longings and yearnings and longing for what? Verse 3, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord, you're longing to taste more of Jesus and His sweetness. Once upon a time, this heart of mine loved to slander the brothers. But now, God changed me, who took away my stony heart. He gave me a new heart that yearns to be forever satisfied with the kindness of Christ, which now compels me to abhor slandering my brothers, whether in a church or at home. You see? And it's got to do nothing with whom I, I speak to, whether it's my wife or to my son. It has everything to do with my new heart that God has given me and Christ whom I yearn for. You get it? Besides, brothers and sisters, why? Why would you want to stumble your wife? And, and cause her to, to sin against God and your brethren. When you, when you want to share some truth, share it with your wife and your husband so that you would help one another, not to destroy each other and drag the reputation of your brothers through the mud. Question three. Um, how about when I just don't mention names. <clears throat> when, when I make it abstract, you know, uh, like saying to someone, look, I don't want to mention any names, but there is a group of people in this church that hurt me deeply. What about that? I'm not mentioning any names. So we can paraphrase this question by saying, 
by asking this. Is it okay for me to slander my brethren so long as I don't mention their names? Think about it. Even if you don't mention names, how do you think that this will affect your brother whose ears you just stained with the blood of his unknown brethren? What would he do the next time he wants to come to a fellowship? Would he not be scanning? Who's a bad boy in this room? I just heard there's a bad boy. Who is he? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. <laughs> Thanks, Malachi. Honest. <laughs> Ephesians 4, 29. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but what? Only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Now, how can you edify your hearer while you're destroying an unnamed brother? How can you be giving grace while at the same time condemning a brother, no matter how abstract you try to make it to be? So, brothers... All slander has to go. Not only must we abstain from this heinous sin, but we must do the exact opposite. We must be in the business of protecting the bride of Christ. You see, if we truly adore the magnificent glory of Jesus, who is the head, then ought we not be endeavoring to shelter every member and every organ of his body from any deadly arrows of a slanderer. We protect the bride of Christ. Not, not because the bride of Christ is made up of good people. No. We know that that's not true. We know the bride of Christ is full of sinners who deserve nothing less than hell. We protect her. Because Christ loves every single member of his bride. And he died for them anyway. Isn't Jesus worthy of every last drop of our blood protecting whom he loves? Then how? How do we do that? How do we put a hedge around the flock for whom Jesus died purchasing to himself by his blood? Well, I want to give you four commands, four directives, four negative commands. What you must not do if you want to protect the bride of Christ. How do you respond to gossip in a biblical way? First thing, don't broadcast it. What must you do when you hear reports that bring shame on your brother? The first thing that you must do is that you must not be somebody else's news reporter. Proverbs 10.18, it says, He who spreads slander is a fool. <clears throat> the scripture explicitly condemns the spreading of malicious gossip. So please turn to Proverbs 26, verse 20. <clears throat> it says, For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. What does that mean? Well, what does fire need to turn into a blaze? It needs wood, right? It needs wood. And the more wood you put into the fire, the more fuel it has and the more blaze it will become and the larger the blaze will be. But what do you do when you take the wood out? What happens to that fire? It dies, right? And the text says here that the fire is the same as a slanderer, the slanderer who brings contention. 
Because much like that fire that needs wood to thrive, so also those who gossip, they love to proselyte you. They love to turn you into themselves. Did you see what she's wearing? Hmm? Oh, man. Well, I can't believe that he said that. Did you hear him saying these words? Not only do they want you to agree with them when they say it this way, they desire to convert you, and then you go and you spread this news. The only thing that they don't want you to do is to attach their names to this news report, so they say, keep it confidential. But in reality, what they really mean is that don't mention my name, but just go and spread it. You see, those who gossip, they love their hearers to be the news reporter. They want them to broadcast the gossip. But if they see that you're not spreading this juicy rumor, this is what the Bible says, contention quiets down. Where there is no whisperer, contention quiets down. So don't give in to these slanderers. Don't repeat accusations that could potentially harm your brothers. Don't have in your hands the blood of your brother's honors. Rather, what do you have to do? You see, when you have this urge to show and tell what you're not meant to show and tell, how about this? How about we remember Christ? Remember Christ while you're still sin. While you're in sin, while all evidence are pointing to the fact that you are a vile criminal in the sight of a holy God, your hands are cuffed, the execution rope is around your neck. How about we remember that with His own precious blood, He covered your sin, He covered your shame. And even when Christ knew that the price to pay was way too high, what did he do? He willingly died in order to silence this cry of your condemnation. He put a hedge around you, protecting you. How thankful ought we be to Christ? Shouldn't our hearts be full of gratitude to what he did? Remember Christ. And when you do, you too do likewise. Scripture says, he who is trustworthy conceals a matter. Again, in Proverbs 10, 12 says, Love covers all transgressions. Meaning, let the love of Jesus flow through you to your brother. Pull a blanket over his nakedness. Cover your brother's shame just like Jesus covered yours. Protect your brother's reputation. Just like Christ is protecting ours before the Father. Don't broadcast the gossip. Second, what must you not do? You must not listen. You must not listen to these malicious gossips. Not only are we commanded in the Scripture not to echo gossips, but we must not meditate on them or entertain them in our, in our minds. Proverbs 17, verse 4, again, we've mentioned this verse last week. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. You know, while we still have this unredeemed flesh of ours, yes, the heart yearns for Christ, yearns for holiness, but yet let's not forget that we have this unredeemed flesh. And there is something that is so appealing in this unredeemed flesh when it comes to hearing gossips. You know, especially gossips about those brothers that are challenging to us. Or perhaps gossips about people that would not affect us. We like to hear them. Something enticing, something so pleasurable, so sweet about hearing gossips. And the scripture affirms that. Proverbs 26 verse 22, it says, The words of a whisperer, are like dainty morsels. They, they go down into the innermost parts of the body. Dainty morsel. You know what a dainty morsel is? It's, it's a small ap appetizer. You know, so, so delicious. 
mouth-watering. You know, I was, I was recently introduced to, to a dessert um, that you can buy from Woolworth. It's, it's called, I don't know if you know, it's called Mix Max. Mix Max. Have you heard of Mix Max? It's kind of a sponge cake. It gets sold in little packets. They're, they're so delicious. So delicious. Sadly, they are. <laughs> I, I have no idea what they put in them. I was only just introduced to them like about two weeks ago. And you kind of take a bite of this thing and it just it feels like it melts in your mouth. <laughs> you know, they sell them in packs. I think, why? How many packs is in a pack? Uh, about 10, 12, 10. And you say, you say to yourself, right, I'm only going to try one. You try one. Open it. Just very light. You put it in your mouth and just bang, all of a sudden it just it disappears. So what do you say? You say, I'll just have one more. Be, be, and you begin to justify it to yourself, right? You know, I have it. Man, I didn't even have a chance to kind of, you know, activate all my taste buds. So what do I do? Well, you know, tomorrow I'm going to play tennis with my son. I'll just have another one. Another one. And before you know it, what happens? The whole pack is gone. Just like these dainty morsels to our taste buds, the gossips are to our ears. You know, we say we're not, we're not going to pass on this rumor. We're not going to pass it. We're just going to tune in, into this radio frequency and just listen just a little bit, just to find out what's going on. And we'll kind of find it a little bit delicious. So what do we do? We say a little bit more, a little bit more. Until we feel that we're hooked. And now we've got the whole thing and we want to digest the whole meal of this gossip. Now do, you know, do you know why we do that? Do you know why we love listening to, to gossips? I want to give you three main reasons why people love listening to gossips. Number one, self-righteousness comes highest in the list. Listening to gossips makes us feel that we're not the only sinners in this room. There, there are others that have less righteousness than we, we have. You know, just to know Melissa doesn't like Martha, that there is, you know, and she always tells her off, that it will make me feel better about my self-righteousness. So we tune in and listen. Second, control. Listening to gossip feeds my control. You know, um, gossip makes us uh, feel that we're part of the know-it-all group. You know, the part of the inner circle. And, and like they say, knowledge is power, right? Knowledge is power. Power is control. You know, when I have this little piece of information, you know, like the marital conflict between David and Samantha. And if I just know about this marital conflict, perhaps I will know the weak points of Samantha. And when I do so, I can pretend to be her little sovereign God and somehow maybe I can control her. It's demonic. Perhaps another thing. Because the slanderer is telling you some secret and he's kind of drawing you to himself. You don't want to offend him. You know, you want to feel that you're accepted by him. There's a sense of pride and you want him to look highly up to you. If you offend him and he say, no, your pride may get hurt. You want to agree with him. And in the process of hearing the gossips, the pleasure of self-righteousness or control or acceptance by others rise to a whole new level. Brothers, this is demonic. This is of the flesh. It's not of the spirit. Unless you're part of the problem or part of the solution, meaning if you're not part of this conflict, 
and you're not in a position to give counseling and instruction or being a mediator, the scripture forbids you to tune into this frequency of divisive reports. An evildoer listens to wicked lips. Do you want to be an evildoer? Listen to gossip. Pay attention to slanderers waving other people's dirty laundries. But if you want to guard this church, if you want to fulfill the second greatest commandment, that is to love your neighbor as yourself, if you want to protect the bride of Christ whom he died for, then don't give an ear to the slanderous reports about your brothers. It's very simple. Don't. We must never entertain any rumors about our brothers for whom Christ shed his blood. No, we must sever our ears that would cause us to stumble. Well, what about all these fleshly pleasures that we just spoke about? I mean, how do you deal with them? The Bible says in 1 Peter 2.11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers... To abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. Abstain. Mortify it. Meaning, don't draw your satisfaction from hearing some bad, bad reports about your brother's reputation. Being dragged through the mud. Don't. Draw your satisfaction from Christ. Brothers, you don't need your self-righteousness. Why? Because you know that when Christ died, He imputed His righteousness into your account the moment you trusted in Him. And, and you don't need to feel in control. You know, part of the inner circle, the know-it-all group. Why? Because the one who loves you and died for you, He has all authority. He has all power and all control. Let Him be your source of pleasure and satisfaction, not the premeditated murder of your brother in Christ. And so what do you do? What do you do when someone comes and gossips to you? Just cut it off. Right in the middle of the sentence, don't give him an ear. Say to him, brother, sister, how is it that what you're telling me right now going to edify anybody? You just stop it. And what about the information that you just heard? Whatever, half quarter of this information that you heard. Well, you have the duty to not believe it. Don't dwell on it. Don't entertain on it. Don't listen. So, don't broadcast, don't listen. Number three, you ready? Gets harder and harder. You've got to separate yourself from those who have a pattern, a pattern of spreading malicious gossips. Move away. If you want to maintain unity in the spirit, don't spread rumors, don't tune in and listen. But separate yourself also from the slanderers. Titus chapter 3 verse 10, it says, Reject a factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and is sinning, being self-condemned. Reject a factious man. Avoid him. Do have nothing to do with him. You see, a man who causes division, You've got to keep away from him. And I want to tell you that division is the firstborn child of gossip. Right? Let me, let me explain to you. Let me give you just another example. You know, somebody comes up to you and says to you, Hey, man, just let's pray for brother, brother Matt, you know. Yesterday, I went to his house, and just before I knocked, you know, I heard him yelling at his wife, at his kids, and oh boy, you have no idea how his wife responded. Dude, she was just all over the place, and it was terrible. 
We've got to pray for them. Now, what will go in your mind when you hear such a thing? Well, you begin to form a bad opinion about Matt, right? And, and you probably would say to yourself, well, how, he, how could he do such a thing? Where did he get off thinking that he can speak to his family like that? And, and, and he calls himself, I don't know, Bible study leader? But obviously because you don't have any ground to talk to Matt about his sinful behavior, what do you do? You begin to bubble up inside of you, just begins to rise up, and sooner or later you're going to have some bitterness towards Matt. And what do you do? You keep Matt an arm's length away from you. And it'll be a very long time before you go to Matt and ask him for any counseling in your life. All that without realizing that this godly family may have been performing an evangelical play just to teach their children about forgiveness. And poor Matt, while all that is happening behind the scene, he, ha- he still has no idea what is going on. Now there is a faction in the body. There is division there, right? Why? Because of a small, little, holy gossip preceded a prayer meeting. That's why, brothers, in James, it tells us in chapter 3, see how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. How true. The scripture speaks so strongly to protect the flock from such men. Proverbs 20 verse 19 says it direct. And it says, do not associate with a gossip. Full stop. Don't associate. Keep away. And when he comes to you, he comes up to you and says, hey man. I don't know, you haven't been talking to me lately, what's wrong? Just say, well, to be honest, brother, I mean, I've been noticing that uh, you've got this pattern of negative attitude about all brothers, and it seems to me that you've got a lot of bad thoughts and bad words that you you like to say about the weaknesses of my brothers. And to to be honest with you, it's not edifying. can continue saying to him, well, I want to tell you in love that this kind of behavior is harmful to the health of the church. Be truthful. Be honest in love. See, the scripture commands us to separate ourselves and to refuse to associate with someone who has a pattern of gossip. Let him be convicted of that. But you Moving away from him. All right. We'll come to the fourth and the last imperative. What about those in leadership? When someone you're leading comes up to you and he's seeking help or counseling, what do we do? Are leaders exempted? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I'm talking about all kinds of leaders, whether a husband, a father, a counselor, a teacher, a disciple, a pastor. It really doesn't matter. Any kind of teacher. You are not exempted from this. If a counselee comes to you and he gives you a bad report about someone, what should you do? Well, the first thing that you must do is that assess the situation. Is this a venting session? Is it just all about expressing some frustration and in the process the reputation of a brother is assaulted? Well, if it's a venting session, then this is deemed to be gossip. And if you are in a position of leadership and you let this happen, you know what you're doing? You're participating in a gossip against a brother. 
you're acting against your brother's life. You're stumbling the one that is following you. So what should you do? Well, what you should do is this. Very simple. You stop immediately. And lovingly warn that counselee of the danger of gossip. You've got to do that. Then all that we spoke about applies. Don't broadcast it. Don't listen. But what if someone comes up to you and you being a leader and you're in a leadership position and he's genuinely not a slanderer. He's not a slanderer. One who's genuinely crying for help. And he kind of like in the process, he begins to spill the beans and he speaks about someone else's flaw. You know, and the reason why he's saying now you've assessed the situation, it's not so much venting session, but it's, but it's more to do with the fact that these flaws of somebody else are bearing so much weight upon him and he doesn't know how to handle it. And so he's seeking help from you. What do you do? Do you stop him? Do you, do you, do you tell him, well, you know what? Sorry, I don't want to listen to any gossip. Of course not. Of course not. Why? Well, because if, if he's not intending to destroy a person, but he's genuinely seeking help to know what to do, it's not a gossip. He's inviting you to be part of the solution. Then being a leader, you have a duty of care towards this person. You must hear what he has to say. But the, this duty of care only goes in so far as to aid this person. You want to help him to become more like Christ. Or perhaps to help him to deal with this situation at hand. To tell him what to do. But this is in no way meant to be a venting time or just to inform you with some ill information about a brother just to, um, to be aware. FYI, you as a leader under obligation to hear this issue only as much as just to help the counselee. And you know what? Even in the most severe situation, just like, let's say, um, an extreme case of domestic, domestic abuse, you can say to your counselee, um, you know, let's see how we can protect you. Perhaps we may even need to call the appropriate authority. All that at the same time yet, you must not give your counselee an opportunity to turn this into a gossip session. Being in leadership is not an exemption to this rule. And while you're assisting your counselee to deal with this negative report, as though it's true, you must not embrace it into your heart. Right? You must not. Nor act upon it outside of this counselling session as though you heard the entire truth. Someone rang me up, um, she gave me a call, I don't know, a few um, weeks ago and explained to me about a certain situation and, and how I responded to that person on the phone. I said to that person on the phone, well, I'm going to tell you how to deal with this situation as though it's true, but I want to tell you from up front, I'm not going to act upon it nor believe that it's true. Why? I'll tell you why. Number one, in Proverbs 18, verse 17, it says, The first to plead his case seems right. Until what happens? Until another comes and examines him. You see, how many times have we been put in a situation where someone comes and he pulls his heart out about a person and you begin to think in your, you know, in your mind, Oh, how could such a person speak like this? This person can't be trusted. But then what happens? An opportunity arises where you get to hear the other side of the story. And then you say to yourself, Oh, I didn't know about this. I had no idea. And then suddenly your conclusion about this person changes dramatically. And then you realize that you've made the wrong assessment about this person. 
Proverbs 18.13, in the same chapter, it says this. He who gives an answer before he hears it, it is folly and shame to him. Folly and shame. Don't embrace unverified claims until the entire truth is established. Don't. That's what the scripture says. And when do you embrace it? As a leader and someone is coming to you and he's telling you about concerns that he has. At what point do you believe, do you believe that it's true? When he attaches a lot of feelings to it so that he can somehow entice you? When he has teary eyes to make you really believe it? Is this what the scripture says? No. When do you believe that it's true? Matthew chapter 18, verse 16, it says, By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Again, it's all over the New Testament. It's not just Old Testament um, principle. It's a New Testament principle. So 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Again, repeated word for word. Every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. The truth is established only when you have two or three witnesses. So you say to him, brother, I'm more than happy to serve you and assist you to deal with this issue at hand that you presented to me. And in the light of this, Let's see how I can guide you so you can become more like Christ. But I'm in no way going to treat the accused as guilty until proven innocent. I must give him the benefit of the doubt. Why? Because the scripture is very clear in this. Again, every fact is to be confirmed by the testimony of two or three witnesses. We need to understand that God put this principle in place to ensure that the innocent is protected. God wants to make sure that justice is maintained, especially when you're in leadership. Why? Because when you are in a leadership, you have the obligation to care for both, to protect both the accused and the accuser. Now, just to enforce this point, just to bring it home, another verse, just the last one. Proverbs 29, verse 12. What if you don't do that? What if you are this kind of a leader that is foolish and you only give in to hear one side of the story? Look what it says. If a ruler pays attention to falsehood, all... His ministers, not some, not most, all his ministers become wicked. I'm not saying that. That's what the Word of God says. If you're in a leadership position and one of your followers brought an allegation to you against someone else, then if you choose to embrace this allegation and you follow through with it as though it is true without verifying the validity of this claim, Do you know those whom, who are following you, how they're going to interpret this to be? They're going to say, sweet. <laughs> if I'm going to be the first one who would get to whisper in your ear, I'll come on top. And then before you know it, many of those you're leading will trample upon each other and crawl over each other just to make sure he is or she is the first person to get to your ears with any allegation that they can present to you just to survive. And so ultimately, what do you end up with? You end up with turning up your people, turning your people into what the Bible says, wicked people slanders if a ruler pays attention to falsehood if you act upon it all your ministers will become wicked and so long as there are no two or three witnesses you don't meditate on the negative report you hear you must never change your heart attitude 
you must not look at the accused with a different set of eyes. So the four commands, the four imperatives. When you're confronted with a gossip, don't broadcast it. Don't listen. And if there is a pattern of gossip, say, I'm done. I can't associate. And leaders are not exempted from this. Go ahead and seek help from leaders. But make sure, brothers, sisters, it is not a venting session. Don't try to get somebody else in trouble to get on top. So what do you do? What should you do if you are not meant to gossip about them? And you say, man, it's weighing heavy in my heart. And I kind of feel like venting out. We understand. If you need to seek help, you see a counselor to seek help, not so that the other person changes, but so that you would change. Right? I can't forgive. I'm going to help you to learn how to forgive. I don't know how to bear it. I'm going to teach you how to bear it. You to change. Then go and seek help. Well, what do you do? What do you do if you kind of have that urge to vent? Let me tell you a couple of things, or three things that you can do. Number one, it goes without a say. If you have been offended by your brother and you just can't bear it, go and speak to him. Don't speak to other people about him. Go and speak to him. Follow the, the, the principle that Jesus gave us. Go and speak to your brother. If he doesn't listen, bring two other witnesses with you. And if he doesn't hear them, present him to the church. There is an order in place. And we need to follow this order. Let me tell you something else. Leonard Ravenhill, such a great preacher. He's dead, so he's got to be a, a great preacher. <laughs> um, he says this. Notice. We never pray for folks we gossip about, right? It's true, yeah? And we never gossip about the folk for whom we pray. For prayer is a great deterrent. How about that? How about rather than speaking to men about your brother's sin, how about you speak to God about their sin? Speak to Him. Do you want to stop gossiping about your brother? Speak to God. And while you speak about, to God about him, it's clear. Jesus gave us a clear instruction what to do. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Talk to God. And as you're talking to God, bless your brother who's just offended you. Second thing, to counteract thinking negatively about your brother, how about you dwell on what is positive? Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brethren, finally, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Dwell on what is good about your brother. Go out of your way. Find what is good. Dwell on, these, on those good things that you find about your brother. Praise your brother for those good things that you see in him. Praise him for that. You know, the church of Philippi or even the church of Ephesus, the, the, all these churches, they had a lot of problems. But you read what Paul was saying to them. He was encouraging them. He pointed to the good things about them. And he communicated these good things, not just to them, but he kept repeating saying, I praise God for that. I thank God for that. I thank God for what I see in you. Though he was just about to correct something wrong about them. How about you do that? Number three, and the last, fellowship. Fellowship. 
Instead of spreading a gossip about a brother, how about you fellowship with that brother? That's what the Bible says. Ephesians 5.29, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Again, in verse 6, it says, Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person. Do you think when Paul wrote this, people at that time, believers, did not have complaints about one another? Had, they didn't have any issues? They did. And yet, yet Paul commanded them to fellowship with one another. Perhaps there is something about bringing Christ in your conversation with your brother who just offended you that will help you to be relieved from, being, from having these issues in your heart. Brothers, sisters, the world will hate us. They will hate us because we've got the truth and we want to preach the truth, right? But let not the world hate us because we are gossiping people. If they're going to hate us, might as well get them to hate us for the right reason. Because we are gospel people. We want to be gospel people, not gossiping people. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your word. We thank you. You. You love us no matter what we do. We are your people. We are precious in your sight. We are broken. We confess how many times, though we were meant to protect our brother, and rather than protecting, we allowed others to slander that brother. And, a stain, and the blood of that brother has stained our face. We confess our sins. And yet other times, Lord, we weren't just giving ears, but we were the ones who were giving the mouth. We are the ones who were whispering. But we have a loving Savior. A Savior who has forgiven all of our sins. And He has forgiven all of our sins, not because we're good people, we are bad people. But He is a good Savior. He is such a great Savior. A Savior who not only was willing to forgive all of our sins, but now He chose our, our hearts to be His home, so that He will continue to change us, to mold us, and to make us to be like him we pray lord that this message would not bring any discouragement to a dear brother in his church but we pray father that it would raise an opportunity for brothers and sisters to draw even all the more towards one another and in doing so that they would draw even nearer to christ and in through our obedience Christ will be so magnified and the gospel would be proclaimed so powerfully and the kingdom of God would, be, would advance. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.